place to stay. For many people, they were given cars to drive around in for those two weeks at the cost of the people that um, were hosting them. And, uh, and what stood out for me throughout all that time is just the sense of it was never about me. It was always about what I could serve and how I could give out to others. And um, as I was kind of wandering around there, uh, I w wonder if you could put that picture up for me, please, Ryan. Um, uh, the first one, image one. Stuff, but uh, this is actually, I, I went to him, I said to him, this is fascinating, this concept of die love. I said, in Josh Jen, we talk about dying to live. And he said, well, actually, it's adapted from that. And on the front of it, it's got Crowded House Church, and on the back, it's got this die love. And I said to him, so what do you, what's, what's the thinking behind it? And he said, well, it's kind of twofold. He said, the first thing is that when you wear something like die alive, it's going to attract attention and people are going to come and ask you about it. So it's an opportunity to build rapport and to have a conversation about the gospel with people, which I absolutely love. Because many of us don't have the confidence to just walk up to somebody and start talking about Jesus. But the second side of it um, is a stark reminder of actually what we're called to as followers of Christ. You know, we are, we are not called to, to be human rights uh, advocates, and we are not called to fight for our lives with everything in us. Um, and Galatians 2.20 actually tells us what our heart's posture needs to be as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And uh, in the, the context of this little passage is actually, uh, Paul is coming into a place where Peter and some of the other apostles have been gathered and they've been teaching. Um, but there's a group of false teachers that have come in and are trying to now introduce works back into the salvation process of Jesus basically saying to men, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And, uh, and, and Paul, is, is, he's coming in and he's correcting that. But then he also notices something. He notices that Peter has estranged himself from the Gentiles and is now eating exclusively with uh, the Jews. And he calls him out publicly and rebukes him. Um, so that's some of the context of it. But I think if we, when you actually look at that thing of, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ that lives in me, what that means is that the old Sean that was all about me and what I can get and what I benefit from has actually been crucified with Christ and that as I'm resurrected with Christ, I no longer live, but he lives through me. And not very often in the scriptures anyway do we see Jesus fighting for his rights fighting for his portion, fighting for the, you know, to be treated fairly. As the Bible says, he stood silent as a lamb before the slaughter. And I think the world has come in and corrupted largely how we as Christians are believing we need to act. So I want to ask you a question I want you to, to go with me into this place. Let's say, for example, the service ends now, and you're walking out to your car, or you've got two coffee or a lunch with someone, and a dead person comes walking up to you. Picture it. A dead person. He's green. He's stinky. He's smelly. It doesn't look very attractive. What are you going to do? Are you going to be like, hey, shot fruit? How's it? Or are you going to be like, ah! Dead person! Dead person! Get the, get the kids! Let's go! Let's run! 
and you'd be out. That's a normal reaction, right? Or is it just me? I suppose with this generation, with some of you guys, you would probably just first whip your phone up and like hit a little selfie, like tick, tick. All right, I got him. And uh, you know, you're, you're kind of running away. You know, the selfie nation, that's like so part of this thing, man. But we, but we laugh about it and it is actually funny and I planned it to be funny. But the fact is, I think very often in our own lives and in the life of the church, we're quite used to a dead man walking. Because that dead man is, he's climbing for life every single day. He wants to be, re- he wants to be reincarnated, he wants to live again, he wants to come out new and go, no, no, you don't, need to, you don't need to serve, you don't need to lay your life down for Jesus and his church, you don't need to do that, it's about you. It's about what I get out of this deal. Am I getting invited to, you know, the prayer meetings? Am I getting invited to this, oh, I saw those guys, Brown. On Facebook, I wasn't there. Why didn't I get an invite? You know, no one thinks about me. And actually what that is, it's that old man that's dead and dying, that's in a grave and he raises himself up and he goes, I want life. And the fact is we need to kill him. He's not welcome. It stinks. And you know it and I know it. When we see it, it doesn't look right, hey? Because there's something about Jesus when you look at him that he came and he gave everything, everything. He didn't try and spare his life. He willingly goes, he said, no one takes my life from me. I give it. Yet we want to save our lives. We want to stay alive. And I want to encourage us this morning that this is not what we're called to as believers We're called to, as that picture says, to die alive, to choose to crucify that which wants to edify and uplift and make myself more. We need to kill that thing and we need to raise up Jesus. We need to make him the center of our focus. And when we care about and we prioritize what's his, we will prioritize him. So I want us to go to Galatians 4, 5 verse 24. And it says, those that that belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. That word crucified, I think for many of us, because we live in Western nations, we have no concept of what that was like. We have no concept of what actually happened afterwards. So to say that it was excruciating, if you've seen Passion of the Christ, you might have some sort of an idea of what it kind of looks like according to Hollywood. But I can assure you at that stage of the game, the Romans were a brutal nation that ruled with an iron fist. And the intention behind every crucifixion was to teach you, don't mess with us. It wasn't just to kill you, it was to kill you in the most graphic and painful way possible. And then what they would do is they would line the crosses up on the main traveling paths so that as you were coming into Roman territory, you'd kind of look to the side and you'd see men, women, and children that are rotting corpses on this cross. And you would know, don't, don't cross the Romans. Don't come against them. But the word here says what? All who belong to those, all of all who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Are you crucifying the, the flesh in your own life? Are you crucifying your desires? Not God's desires, your desires. To that level. 
where literally when people walk past you, they can go, that axe has been crucified. I can see the life of Jesus on him. He's no longer living according to the flesh. The flesh. And the devil knows, don't mess with that guy. Don't mess with him. That's a disciple. That's a follower of Jesus. When I look at him, I see someone who's denying himself, who's putting away the old man because he understands that that man is dead. Even you look at the wording. It doesn't say those who belong to Christ, well, they suppressed or they just ignored or they pretended it wasn't there. It says, no, they crucified it. They killed that thing because it doesn't look like Jesus and it doesn't lead to life. Thank you. So what does it look like? What does it look like when the dead man's cut? Sorry, I need to drink some water. I'm getting a little excited here. Is this going all right? Are you guys with me? No one feels like they're getting shouted at by the principal, hopefully. What does it look like when our flesh rises? When gossip complaints, disunity, fault-finding. I want to tell you, that's the old man. Yeah, it's the old man. It's, it does, it's not God. How many of us this week, this week, have moaned about something? Eskom, my teacher at school. Sean's preaching. He's always shouting at us. I don't like it, man. We do it. We murder people with our thoughts. We get upset. We get upset with people. And you know, the word says, says if you get angry with a brother, you've actually murdered him. That's Jesus' standard. But we just, we're so okay with the, with the dead man walking around in our own lives and in the lives of the church. And you know what it does? It breaks us. It breaks unity. And it breaks that which Jesus died for. I didn't die for the church. I love you guys. With all of my heart, I love you guys. But I haven't yet died for you. He has. And he says that if you have part of me, you are dead too. And I need you to live dead. I need you to die alive. We need to put away envy, jealousy. We need to put away that. I want to tell you something. If anybody in this church aspires to be an elder, aspires to be in leadership, the Bible says that you aspire to a noble task. But I want to tell you right now, there's a couple of tests that you're going to face. One of the tests that you're going to face is being overlooked test. Many of you have probably experienced this already. You are going to, you are going to be in the overlooked test. You are going to be the first guy to the prayer meetings. You're going to be the last one to leave. When there's something to be served, you're going to serve it. You're going to give your life up. You're going to host people. And yet, next week, hey, we want to welcome in some new leaders, and it's not you. And the old man's going to go, don't they see me? Don't they see how I serve? Don't they see what I do? Jesus is smiling actually when he looks because he's not angry and he's going, you need to die a little bit more. That's just a little bit of a dead man that's still coming up. He hasn't, you haven't put him to death yet. Let's work with that. When someone within the life of the church says something, guys, let me just say, I'm so sorry. This is not a perfect church for our visitors. I apologize to you ahead of time. It's not perfect. I'm in it. People are silly. 
They do things without thinking. They don't always understand. And they're going to say something and it's going to hurt you. I'm sorry it's going to happen. And when it does happen, we're going to try and fix it. Because we love you and we want unity. But the first thing that's going to happen is what? <coughs> Your dead man is going to rise up and he's going to go, how dare you? How dare they? Or maybe you're a more sanctified Christian, like my mom and Gaynor and Bruce, that have gray hairs and they've done this for a long time. So they know. They don't get upset. But they just go, yes, you know, hey, Kev, just want to bounce this thing off you quickly. You know, Stephen came and he said this to me, and I don't know, should I be offended? And that's, eh. And now what you're doing is you're starting to resurrect what's dead in Kevin too. That thing is dead. You are dead. If there was a dead man lying here, I could kick him. I could hit him. I could tell him his fortune. He's dead. He's not going to move. Don't fight for your life. Don't fight for it. Die alive. Die willingly. Let the Lord raise you up. And it's human nature. This thing is built into us. It's built into us because why? Because when we were born, we were born not to die. We were put on the earth to have full, full, full uninterrupted in, in, uh, fellowship with the Lord. We were never meant to die. Death was never meant to be here. But then sin came in. And with sin came the wages of sin. And that beautiful mold, that example was broken. And let me use, I'm going to do something which is unheard of in church. I'm going to use science to actually help us with church-related stuff. Hold tight, this is going to be exciting. So it's the life expectancy clip that you've got there. Hopefully you guys can see this. This is fascinating. As I was doing my research this week, so this, I'm going to just show you, this is, this is life expectancy from 1770 all the way up to 2019. What's frightening is that for the first 240 years, the average life expectancy in Africa was 26.4 years. How many people do we have that are over 26.4 years? All right, so we've probably lost half the room here. That's a, that's, a, that's a frightening, frightening statistic. But then as we look from about, um, from about 1925, slowly but surely we start to see the steep rise in life expectancy. And that demonstrates exactly the point that I'm trying to make this morning. We are looking to elongate our lives. We're looking to live longer. We're looking to make things. I want to live to be 100, 105, 110. I don't know who would because I've seen people that old. Your life is horrible. I'm sorry, it's just me. I don't want to live to 100. I'm sorry if there's anyone here this close to 100. Bless you and I hope you have a wonderful life. I really do. But like, hey man, they, it's, it's tough, eh? But we're trying to push back time, right? We're trying to push back these things. We want to, we want to shun death. We want to... I don't want that thing. I want to live. Hundreds and hundreds of trillions of US dollars are being put into research around pushing back death. And I understand. None of us want to die. I mean, you've got stuff you want to do. I want to see my kids grow up to be, I want to play with the, my grandkids. I understand. Like, life is good. And I'm not telling anybody here that you must go home and kill yourself. I'm not saying that. But there's a part of ourselves that needs to go the opposite way. In this church, we should see life expectancy for that old man that was crucified with Christ be rushing down to 1770 levels. Our graph should be going the complete opposite way. 
as we start to understand. An example of this, and Andre and Rian and the guys might, might remember this, Will Marie, who was a wonderful father in the house, an apostolic voice, not only into this group of churches, but into the nations, passed away last year from, from um, cancer. And I remember him saying in one of the elders' meetings, he said, you know, guys, I've had to look at my life and I've had to now do some, I've had to do some, some thinking. Because, you see, he can see eternity shore. It's right here. It's not, it's not far anymore. For Jaden and for Josh and for Mark, you guys, eternity's far away. Feels like forever. But for him, he was dying of cancer. It was just here. He could touch it. And we were all praying for him, and many of you guys were praying for him. God, heal him. We need him. And he said something which absolutely just it blew me away. And he said, you know what, guys? I've got to the stage where I'm actually asking, why do I still want to live? Why? What's the, what's the heart? Am I trying to carry on living because of the selfish desires that I have to see my family grow, to see my grandkids grow, to see all the rest of it? Or am I actually wanting to live in service to the Lord Jesus Christ? That is, that is profound. And I'm not, I sat there and I was like, what? Like, how, how do you get to that level of your life? We are so surrendered, you are so poured out for the Lord that you're actually going, God, you know what? I'm ready to go if I need to go. But if you want me to stay, then let me stay for the right reasons. And I want to take you to another piece of scripture which is similar. Let's look at Philippians 1, 24, 21. This is, this is Paul speaking. Ach, no. Um, it's all gone from mine. This is for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, that means what? Fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. He's standing there. He's, he's contemplating the next. He's contemplating, I'm going to go to Jesus. And he says, for me to live as Christ. He says, I'm hard pressed between the two. Because my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that is far better. Guys, one day, we're going to see the lover of our souls face to face and all of the putting to death of the flesh will die it's gone we don't have to worry about that anymore all of the pain and the suffering that you're experiencing is over with there's joy eternal there's life eternal there's freedom from sickness and all the rest of those sort of things and i can understand how he looks at that day and he goes oh, isn't that it but then he says but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for who for you are staying why for you because you need me you need me to stay is that not the epitome of dying to self i'm so close to it i can see my reward i'm going to be with jesus i'm going to be free from all the stresses and the taxes and all the stuff that the world is putting on me but you know what i'm going to die alive again so close so close i'm going to die again because you know what i know that if i go it's going to hurt you so, Lord, help me. Keep me here. I think it's incredible, guys. That's the heart condition that we should be walking around with in our lives every single day. How do I die today, Lord? How do I lay down my life for you and for what matters to you and what's important to you? Help me to stay dead. It's kind of heavy, eh? You can be honest. It's kind of heavy. 
And let me tell you something. I, 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 wish, I, I wish I could sit here every single week and give you guys, you know, the three reasons why God wants to prosper you. And the three reasons why God wants you healed. And the three reasons why God wants you financially free. Jeez, man, I'll tell you what, this church would be full. People would be lining up for prayer. I'd, we'd have to get a bigger building. But you know what? That's not my job. My job is not to tickle your ears and to make you walk out your feeling, ah, great message. I feel so, you know, so pumped up. I'm great. Things are going well and things are just going to get better. My job is to show you that the ways of Christ, the things we read about in the Bible, are opposite to what you hear from the world. The world says me, myself, and I. And Christ says what? Die. You want to save your life? Lose it. And if you try to get it, if you try and grab that thing, if that old man comes up again, you're going to lose your life. I would rather, if, if, if I've offended anybody today in this pitch, I'm sorry. Sincerely, I'm sorry. But I'd rather offend you now than you offend God one day. I mean that. If I need to shock you, into just going, sheep is man, I've allowed, I've allowed this old man to come up and actually he's walking around more and I'm the one that's in the ground. Then we need to come back. We need to adjust and we need to, we need to come back to what God's called us to. But I wanna, I wanna finish with hope because I'm a natural encourager. And for those of you who know me, you know I love to encourage because I believe in you and Jesus believes in you. So we're gonna go to Matthew 16, 24 to 27. And Jesus is sitting with his disciples, he's sitting with the boys now, and he's, he's, he's chatting with them, they're having a conversation, and Jesus starts to tell them about what has to come. And he's telling them about the fact that he's about to suffer, and be tortured, and ultimately be killed. And he's talking about what? He's talking about actual death, actual death. And Peter I love Peter. I, I, I think Peter's, I, I get Peter, right? I, I get him. I totally get him. Like, I think I would have been like, also, no way, Jesus, that's not happening. We're going to make sure it doesn't happen. And when the O's came to fetch him, they pulled out his knife. And I, like, I, I reckon I would be like that. You know what I mean? I reckon I would have done it. And he gives, he rebukes Jesus. Can you believe that? He goes, no. You, you, what are you talking about? That'll never happen. And then Jesus rebukes him, but he goes, plus one. Because he says, get behind me, Satan. He doesn't even say, get behind me, Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. And what he says is so profound that we're going to read it here. Oh, sorry, you don't read it there. But basically what he says to him is he says to him, you are focused on worldly things. And I am focused on godly things. You see, Peter wanted Jesus to, to actually to save his life. And that was humanistic thinking. And God's thinking is, he needs to die for this. It's a strong, strong analogy, actually. As you look at it, you can see how many times in the Bible you read the disciples. The disciples are, are us. They're us. They're Every day, the, the, the flesh is like, hey, which of us is going to be the greatest in heaven? Who gets to sit at the right end of your throne? Flesh, flesh, flesh. 
Old man, old man, old man. So let's read the scriptures together. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, that includes you and me, would come after me, let him deny who? And take up whose cross? His cross and follow me. For whoever would save, not die, save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man get, give in return for his life? For the Son of Man, this is the payoff. This is the prize. We're going to come back to this. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And he will repay. In another one, another translation, it says he will reward each person according to what he has done. That, my friends, is our hope. That is why I'm asking you to willingly die daily. Because one day, Jesus is coming back. And he's bringing all the angels with him. And he's coming in the glory of his Father, which means that God is with him. And they're going to come and they're going to look at you and they're going to go, Kevin, here's your reward. For every time you killed your flesh, for every time you chose not to fight, not to break unity, not to break division, here's for you. But let, that's, that's the promise. We'll get there. That's the payoff. But let's just look at that scripture again. So it says, if you want to be my disciple, then you're going to need to take up a cross just like I did. And it might not be a cross that leads to physical crucifixion. For some, maybe. For those that live in, in, in persecuted countries, for some of them, it does mean that. It's so foreign to our thinking. There's some really interesting websites you can go and have a look at. You'll see that a large portion of the church is under persecution. Horrible persecution. And we sometimes can't even conquer the rain and the wet in, December, in winter to get to church. But that's a different preach on a different day. We need to pick up our crosses, guys. We have to pick it up. We have to deny ourselves. That means I don't come first. He comes first. And because I love him, I serve what he serves. I love what he loved. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. Saving your life doesn't mean wanting to stay alive. It means my comfort. The guys that come and do the church set up this morning, thank you. The worship team that's come from Somerset West, thank you. You guys, have, you could have done something else this morning. You could have been somewhere else this morning, but you gave up your lives to come and serve us. And you did a great job. And we can have some lovely coffee and some fellowship just now, but that all came from someone that willingly said, I will lose myself today for you. A couple of years ago in Somerset West, it was my birthday. My birthday was on a Sunday. Our community group was on duty, and I got the privilege to go and open up the kids' church facility, which was across the road. And it was amazing. I, I, I loved that. So I was there, and I was opening up, and I thought, oh, you know what? This is like a, it's like a hall where there's kids all day. Let me go and have a look and see what the bathrooms look like. So I walk into the bathroom, and the girls' bathroom is perfect, which is absolutely no surprise to anybody. 
but the gauze bathroom. And there I am on my knees, on my birthday, scrubbing poo off a seat. And do you know what? I don't think I have ever felt better in my entire life. And the Lord spoke to me and he said to me, my boy, on your birthday, when everyone else would say, I want some honor and just a little bit of love and give me some presents, you are on your knees cleaning poo for me. Here's my grace. No, that'll go down. I will never forget that birthday. I think it's one of my best birthdays ever. I'm not saying that to be pious. I experienced the, the presence, the manifest presence of God as I was cleaning that toilet. It was amazing. That moment, I laid down my life. And he said, if you lay down your life for me, you will find it. That's it. What use is it to gain the world with all its possessions, its prizes, its promises, and you lose your soul? I've seen it, guys. I've seen it. Guys that are firing for Jesus. Man, yes, I tell you what, those oaks are like you looking at them, you're going, whoa, one of these days, that oak is just like, God, he's so, he's, that oak's so amazing, God's just going to rapture him. He's like, that oak's going to go. And the job offer comes. Uh, Tax-free in Dubai. And they come to you, and, I mean, it's God, man, this is God, he wants to prosper me, and Jeremiah 29, 11, and, and the world's going, come on. And I'm not saying every job opportunity that you're going to get is from the, from the devil. I'm not saying that. That's why we have community. That's why we have, we have accountability. We can process these things together and we can find what is God doing. But the world wants you. And, they'll keep, and it'll keep testing your borders. Give you a little something, see how it feels. A little taste. A little bit of glory. And suddenly we, ooh, hello. And those guys just derail. And they've sold, effectively, they've sold their soul. Don't do it. Don't fall into to the trap. The world is, we've got lots and lots and lots of trappings. What shall a man give in return for his life? And then the promise. Love this part. This is, this is what I want to, I want to leave you with this promise. I want you to see this, see this moment, if you can. I'm a visual person, so I like to do this. Just close your eyes, in your mind. Picture this day. You're at work, you're at home, you're wherever you are. And, and Jesus is, is there with all of the angels. And he's coming down. And he gets to see you. He says, come and receive your reward. In front of all of the angels, in front of this Father's glory, he says, come and receive the reward. Every good choice you made, every time you denied your flesh, every time you willingly picked up your cross, every time you lost your life for me, here's something, here's a reward for you that will last forever. We can't grasp the concept of eternity. It's too big for us. But the day will come where we will be rewarded for our faithful service. And that reward will last forever. No moth, no rust, no theft, forever. You know, the Bible speaks about 
in a number of occasions, it speaks about that we will receive crowns of glory. There will be some that are walking around heaven and we will see crowns on their heads. I want to be one of those. Maybe that's a bit selfish, but actually it's not. Because I know that in order to attain that, I have to kill myself. I have to die. I don't get that without dying now. It's like the Medal of Honor. The Medal of Honor almost exclusively gets awarded to people that are dead. But every soldier wants to get the Medal of Honor. It's this conundrum of, I know that I'm living in a life of service, and if I serve so well, actually I'll get a medal that I never get to wear. <laughs> we need to do it. We need to go and get that. So I want to leave you with this quote, and then we're going to pray. You can put the last one up for us, please, there, Ryan. This is a quote from a, uh, an American missionary called Jim Elliott. And he says that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And we see these nice quotes, and we often share them on our Facebook or our Instagram or whatever social platforms we're on, and we're like, oh, that sounds quite cool. People are going to think that I'm quite educated and special if I share this. But you know, this man was one of five missionaries that were murdered by a tribe in Ecuador that they were trying to evangelize to. The story is quite fascinating, actually. They, they come in with the airplane. Some of these guys from this tribe actually come out to them, and they take them for a, they take them for a, a trip in their, in their airplane. So they're like, hey, we're we, we, we good. And a couple of days later, they find five bodies washed up. So he knew there was something that Jim Elliot saw. He says, no fool who gives away what he cannot keep. I cannot keep my life. I cannot. You guys are young and strong. You will die one day. You can't, you can't escape it. You can't hide from it. You can try and shoot your curve up and hit 63.4 years old, and then you're better than the average, and I hope for you that you do. But no one can keep your life. But if we give that up, we will gain something that will never be taken away from us. That can never be taken away from us. And that's my invitation to us today as a congregation, as a community and visitors. Can we choose to lose our lives together for the glory of God? Can we choose to put to death the flesh and our selfishness and the me, myself and ours? And can we daily walk around with this picture in our mind and the sound that will last forever in your minds of... Because it's going to happen. It maybe is already happening. You could already be offended with me. I'm sure some of you maybe are. That's okay. Find me. We can talk about it. Really. But I want you to think every day of your life, as, you're, as you are interacting with your children, as you're interacting with your husbands and your wives, as you're interacting with your boss, as you're interacting with yourself, listen. For that little voice of the dead man trying to walk again. And when you hear his voice, use a military kill shot. One to the head, two to the chest. Put him out. Put him to death. He has no place in your life. And he will take everything from you. And he will take everything from us. Let's pray together.
Lord, I want to thank you. You know, we sang in, in, in worship about God, you are so good. You are so good to me. Yet we read these scriptures about having to die and having to lay things down and having to choose a different path. And it actually seems so hard. And it feels like you're not good. But by faith today, Lord, we say that your ways are not our ways. And your thoughts are way higher than our thoughts. And you ultimately know that it's in us willingly dying daily that we will find life. It's in us willingly taking up our cross, denying ourselves and following you that true fulfillment will come in each of our lives. And I pray for us as a, as, a, as a body of believers, I pray for us as individual Christians, that we would not make it about us, but make it all about you, Jesus. That we would love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our souls. And that as we do that, we'd love what you love, which is your church. It's through the church that you've decided to display your glory, to make your glory known to the nation. 